our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Some serial killers like to shout their names and praises from the rooftop. Others, like John Martin Crawford, who was born on March 29, 1962, prefer to remain unknown, making research difficult. But John Crawford is an important Canadian serial killer whose victims deserve the publicity and acknowledgement they never got. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Most of what we know about John Martin Crawford, especially when it comes to his life pre-crime, comes from psychiatric reports, affidavits, witness statements, and other court documents. We know he was born in Steinbach, Manitoba on March 29, 1962, to a young, unmarried mother. She married two years later and soon added siblings to the family before moving to Vancouver in 1967. Beginning at the early age of three, John repeatedly ran away from home. When John was just four years old, he suffered from burns on his chest, neck, and arms after playing with a lighter while with a babysitter. This left him with extensive scarring and lasting bullying. A babysitter sexually molested him around the same age and another when he was seven. When he entered kindergarten, he was told by his teachers that he was stupid and was held back before being transferred to another school. He was taken to a psychologist in Vancouver to explain his behavioral problems. And by 12 years old, he became the bully and the aggressor after years of taunting. He also became a unique drug user. He would sniff glue as a way to deal with the mounting personal problems he was dealing with. He would often go to parks and do ritualistic, almost spiritual sessions of drug use, and later told his counselors that he felt these experiences were almost religious and felt a deep connection with the traditional Native practices. This drug use eventually evolved, as it often does, to marijuana, LSD, mushrooms, Ritalin, Valium, and Talwin. His stepfather, an alcoholic, and mother divorced in the mid-1980s. By then, John was already serving from a manslaughter sentence. When he was just 19 years old in 1981, John Crawford killed 35-year-old Mary Jane Sirloin after meeting her in a bar in Alberta. Her nude body, breasts mutilated and covered with bite marks, was found on Christmas Day. 
After he pled guilty to manslaughter, he received a 10-year sentence and was released in 1989. He then moved to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and back in with his mother. John managed to stay out of prison for a while, but didn't remain out of trouble. By 1992, he spent most of his evenings using drugs, drinking heavily, and trolling the streets looking for sex workers to hire. It was common for him to drink 24 beers and a 26-ounce bottle of liquor over the course of a day. By this time, his probationary period was over, and he was described as a ticking time bomb. A time bomb who was about to become a serial killer who preyed upon First Nations women in Canada. In that year alone, he killed Shelley Napope, Eva Tasip, and Kalinda Waterhen. He is also suspected of killing two others, Shirley Lone Thunder and Cynthia Baldhead that same year. On May 9th, 1992, a woman named Janet Silvestri called the police and said that John Crawford had raped her. When they finally caught up to John, he was near death from sunstroke and substance abuse on the beach and was held in remand. However, in June, his mother bailed him out. It was shortly after that he attacked 16-year-old Shelley Napope with a fellow inmate. She was raped, beaten, and then stabbed to death. On September 20th, he tortured 20-year-old Eva Tasip before sawing off her arms and burying her. The next day, Kalinda Waterhen, 22, met the same fate, though her body was left intact. 1993 saw no victims, simply because John spent most of it in Saskatoon Correctional Center for an assault. In 1994, a hunter found the remains of a female just southwest of Saskatoon, later identified as Janet Silvestri. John was considered a suspect, but never charged. But the police did put him under surveillance, during which he picked up Teresa Kamach, beat, raped, and left her for dead. Police, for some reason, arrested her, but not John. He was eventually arrested and brought to justice in January of 1996. Just after his arrest, a number of women came forward claiming he raped and beat them. John sat silently, refusing to talk or brag about his crime as the court convicted him of three murders. The judge took his silence to mean he lacked remorse, and after giving no explanation for his actions, in May of that same year, he was given three concurrent life sentences. The odd thing about this case is no one really knows anything about it. Many blame the shift of media attention on the murderous couple Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, who were on trial around the same time. Others blame it on the lack of representation and care for his victims. In an interview in 1998, something John rarely did, he claimed that he had begun hearing voices when he was 16 years old and told him to do bad things. If he didn't oblige, they would torment him. He claimed they came from UFOs or other planets. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on March 30th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, 
easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again and have a wonderful day. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.